Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by a very good friend in life, John Paulson, who was about to run away, Paulson, for two weeks, leave me on my own and the crew as you take a long and enjoyable vacation. Yes, uh, taking my 14-year-old son to uh, East Coast trip to look at some U.S. history, uh, Boston, New York City, and Philly and uh, Washington, D.C., so it should be a, a good trip. How many days are y'all going to stay in Philly together? I think it's just one night in Philly. If you can, if I told you to have a Philly cheesesteak sandwich anywhere, I would fight for Angelo's over Pat's. Remember the name Angelo's. And the only issue is Barstool pretty much ruined it whenever they graded their pizza high. But if you walk up to the counter, no one orders the cheesesteaks there. Everyone only goes their pizza. Pizza, great. But their Philly cheesesteaks, in my opinion, still the best in all of Philly. So okay. if I told you one suggestion, that's the one for Philadelphia Angelo's. in general. Angelo's, uh, got it. Also come to me for food because that's how I travel. It's pretty much through <laughs> food. Uh, with that, do. though, before you get out of here, it only makes sense to wrap up OTAs in what has happened. They end at the end of this week. You leave at the end of this week. So I think it's important to talk about what's been happening so far. And we're going to gloss over some some notes like C.D. Lamb, for instance, growing an inch out of nowhere. I have no idea how that happened. But also at C.D. Lamb. No one needs us to talk about drafting C.D. Lamb. Everyone's already doing it. So no big deal. I want to touch on some of the fringe players that projections, rankings, tiers could change because of. And with that, I want to start with Travis Etienne, who's reportedly at full health at OTAs. And per John Shipley, one of my favorite Jags beat writers who takes fantasy into account in most of his articles, he did note that, yes, Etienne was cleared for full practice reps before the start of OTAs and, quote, any concerns about Etienne not looking explosive after the serious injury? Because recall, that injury he had in the, the Liz Frank one in the second preseason game last year. Any concerns about that, Shipley writes, can die down because he now looks like himself, old self, and legitimately – Looks like that from an explosive standpoint as well. Any thoughts right now on the Jaguars' backfield, Paulson, since we're also waiting on the pending status of James Robinson, and it looks like that one's going to come down to, at the very least, training camp. Yeah, this is uh, one of the intriguing backfields to monitor this summer. Um, ETN has three down uh, upside. He's big enough to play on all three downs. It was kind of penciled in for a pass catching role when uh, James Robinson was healthy heading into last year. They were both healthy heading into last year. And uh, obviously, ETN had a season ending injury. Uh, James Robinson uh, tore his Achilles there late. Uh, and I don't know how, I'm not penciling him in for week one. Uh, so his, his, Projections, Robinson's are um, downgraded uh, due to games that I think he's probably going to miss at the start of the season. Uh, so I think ETN has a chance to, you know, grab this job. And you just kind of wonder, uh, Robinson, is he going to be back to his normal self? Is the Achilles injury, there's a lot, been a long line of uh, running backs with Achilles injuries that haven't been able to return to their same explosiveness. Cam Akers uh, did return late last year, didn't run the ball terribly well or look particularly good, but he did handle a lot of touches for the Rams in the playoffs. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of putting a question mark next to James Robinson heading into the season. And if you know, the only question with ETN is his foot. Okay. 
if it is, then he's going to be in line for a lot of touches in September, uh, assuming Robinson misses some time. So he's one of the more intriguing running backs in the RB2 rankings. He's going pick 54 at underdog. Uh, so that's a fifth round pick. You could grab him as your uh, running back two or running back three. Uh, if you want a little bit dangerously um, as your, you know, as your RB2 potentially, I'm sure the zero RB folks are, you know, thinking about him maybe as their RB1. Um, but he's an intriguing high upside guy. We've we've already seen that the, even this Jacksonville offense, as bad as it's been, can still produce some good running back points. Uh, James Robinson's done a real nice job when he's been playing. Uh, so ETN could could take that mantle and run with it. And the teardrop off, in my opinion, typically happens around the time David Montgomery comes off the board around RB18, RB19. We have no questions about David Montgomery's role. 267 touches at least in three consecutive seasons, 1,000 yards from scrimmage as well in all three years. Even though he is not explosive, thus we question his ceiling. The role we're not worried about, and that's why your projections even have him higher. But when we get past that and you get to that group of Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, Brees Hall, Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, that group, that's where I do step in and say I would rather take a chance on ETN's ceiling than out of these full health since he did finish with 1,100 career receiving yards in college and eight, eight receiving touchdowns. Like that's the role he was built for. I don't think he's going to be Debo Samuel. Like he claims he wants to be because of course, who doesn't want to be Debo Samuel and get all the touches and then eventually get the large contract. But as a receiving back in that range of early down grinders, of course I want to take my chance on that kind of upside. So I agree. I, I'm actually very high on ETN and I think this news was very encouraging. Yeah. And, uh, it's just things are pointing to him having a big role, even if it's a, even if Robinson has some kind of miraculous recovery and is ready for week one and is the early down grinder, you can still uh, see ETN with a fairly substantial role. So that would be his floor, you know, 10 to 12 touches as his floor with four or five catches. But, you know, what's the ceiling if, if Robinson's out? I spoke on Montgomery, but something else is happening with the Bears offense reportedly at OTAs because they are running, per The Athletic, a QB-centric offense. And recall last year with Justin Fields, that's really all we needed given their poor offensive line. As Sports Illustrated, I believe he still works for, Doug Farrar noted on Twitter, Justin Fields actually recorded the highest passer rating on rollouts, but with Matt Nagy being Matt Nagy, only called 19 total for him all last year. So anything that helps get Justin Fields at least upright in a poor situation is great for him. What are your thoughts on Justin Fields and perhaps this new look offense for Chicago? Well, maybe you can clear this up for me because what is, what exactly is a quarterback-centric offense? I thought every offense was fairly quarterback-centric. I guess you could have a running back-centric offense. but Seattle? is probably going yeah. to be opposite of whatever we believe a QB-centric office is. Yes. Okay. Uh, I would imagine it's one that just allows him to be more flexible and mobile and makes it easier for him. And you would think that every play caller is trying to do that, but I would vehemently disagree with anyone who suggests that, uh, knowing how many poor play callers there are in the NFL. And just the fact that you think about it, and I wrote this up in my QB tiers now on the site, uh, running back tiers up there as well. Rest will come out throughout the as we close the week here. But... In diving deeper to Justin Fields' stats last year, actually, those last five games, he did average seven and a half carries per game, and that's what allowed him to spike four top 12 finishes as a QB1, despite being around uh, Darnell Mooney as his number one, Marquis Gilden as number two, as Allen Robinson was in and out of the lineup a lot. And so, like, 
it's a terrible situation. We've already admitted that this offseason, yes, for Chicago. But is it that much worse? It's definitely worse. But is it that much worse than what they were already dealing with last year? And even then, Justin Fields, QB1 in four or five instances to close the year. And so that's what I keep coming back to. And so I was, I was doing more research. I actually got higher on Fields and Darnell Mooney in particular, even though I do think the overall team aspect is going to be terrible. I think, I mean, I'm pretty high on Mooney uh, in the wide receiver mm-hmm, rankings. I, I think that Komet could have a, a good season at tight end. I think it's probably going to be one, two with those two in targets. Um, I, maybe, maybe the way I'm looking at the bears is wrong and that, you know, we were, we were heading into this off season thinking that they were going to surround him with weapons and really give him a chance to thrive. And they really didn't do that. I mean, Byron Pringle could be okay, but he's doing donuts, you know, getting pulled over by the cops for doing donuts somewhere in Florida, I think it was. I don't know. It sounds like a Florida thing. But um, they just, you know, they lost Allen Robinson and didn't really replace him. And you're, you're a little bit worried about the number of weapons. If something happens to Mooney or something happens to Komet, then it's really going to get ugly. Like, they could probably make do with those two and have a decent passing attack. As for Fields, he, as we know now, with this Konami code, rushing ability, quarterback, Anybody that has that has a potential to spike in fantasy and has a pretty high floor and is going to be a better fantasy quarterback uh, than necessarily the type of real-world quarterback they are because they can put up 30, 40 yards rushing plus maybe a touchdown. Uh, that that floor in fantasy is, is very valuable. So I think you know Fields has some upside if, if things can go his way. I just looking at the personnel surrounding him, it's a little dicey. I think that the fact that they are trying to build the offense around his strengths is smart. And, you know, we take it for granted that people should be doing that. Um, But sometimes we see teams and offenses that don't do that. And uh, it's a reminder that some coaches want to make players fit their system as opposed to building a system around their players. And I do want to note, at least for best ball tournaments, you don't have to worry about it so much in 16, 10 team, 12 team leagues. But in tournaments, since we are trying to prioritize week 17 for those championship matchups, the Lions do play the Bears in week 17. And our projections, all of us, we are very high on DeAndre Swift in particular. And so if you are drafting Swift, you can also add in Justin Fields quite easily and also Darnell Mooney since we're higher than consensus on Mooney as well. And that's sort of the way I've been targeting it, at least when I've been doing the Puppy and Best Wall Mania 3 drafts. Also, moving on, a injury that sort of escaped us last year, I would say was not reported on at all, was Clyde Edwards-Alaire's gallbladder injury because apparently when he came back from injury, he admitted recently in a podcast at The Athletic 2, I believe, not only was he not ready to come back, like he basically just played through injury the rest of the season, hence why he was splitting touches with Daryl Williams, and then just recently underwent off-season gallbladder surgery. So really, this is going to be the first season in a full calendar year that he's at full health. And so now we then have to ask, what does that mean? What does that lead to? Does this mean he gets more touches or will he be more explosive because he's at full health? What are your thoughts given this developing news? Well, I'm not particularly high on on uh, Edward Hilaire in my in my projections. Uh, they've just been uh, Andy Reid's been going with a committee, regardless of who's been healthy there. Uh, Edward Hilaire has had some high touch games here and there, but for the most part, it's been a rotation. And you know, you look at the uh, comments made about Ronald Jones when he was signed. Uh, Andy Reid basically said that he's going to be part of a combo with 
Edward Hilaire and, you know, his skill set running the ball on first and second down does uh, lend itself to a committee with Edward Hilaire. If you buy, buy that Edward Hilaire is a good pass catcher, he's not very good in pass protection, but he's a good pass catcher. Um, so it seems like the two players complement each other and they did um, go out and sign Jones to a, I don't know, it was a fairly substantial contract for a, you know, a running back coming in free agent running back. So um, I'm not thinking that Edward Hilaire, because of this news about a surgery is going to suddenly be an 18 to 20 touch player. I think he's still a rotational player, committee player. And that's what Andy Reid has been wanting to do when he hasn't had, um, you know, a, a Jamal Charles uh, healthy and available to him. It's been pretty much a committee there uh, for several years now. I also keep coming back to the thought that he has just five total carries inside the five yard line since week two of his rookie year, proving that they don't want to use him in that role. Hence the addition of Ronald Jones, who if there's a role he feels, it's certainly that one and those money touches for running backs. And so right now, Clyde Edwards Lair jammed around the Corderell Patterson's Miles Sanders of the world. You pretty much do have to nitpick and pick and choose. And if you're doing portfolio-style drafts, sure. Why not grab some CEH? Why not grab CEH in Dynasty right now since he's a buy low and will still only be 23 years old in week one? But overall, for redraft purposes, it does seem like it, he's being his value is being inflated right now and all because he's just going to be healthy for week one. Yeah, and he's playing in a really exciting offense. So the idea is there. I mean, you can tell yourself a story about Edward Tillaire that paints a really rosy picture you know, with, with Williams leaving and uh, this whole thing with the surgery and just the, the lack of uh, touches there for uh, Tyree Kill, who's, you know, the freeing up of the targets for Tyree Kill leaving. And um, you can really tell yourself a story, but I think you, it, it comes back to they've replaced, they've replaced Hill with a bunch of guys. They replaced Daryl Williams, and it's going to be a similar situation. Now, maybe if he's healthier, he might get see a few extra touches, and maybe he can really... Uh, perform more efficiently and better and that they'll earn him an even bigger role. But with Andy Reid already saying that this is a committee that I'm just going to take him for his word. We also received an update on JK Dobbins and this Ravens backfield, which is important since as we know, the Ravens have the most unaccounted for carries missing from last season's production because they cut their top four running backs and carries last year and removed the tender from Tyson Williams, who then joined the Colts as depth this offseason. And what we found out was J.K. Dobbins, who tours ACL in August, is expected to start training camp on the pup list and then likely be ready for the season opener. So it seems like really they are targeting week one, and that's what they're putting emphasis into and having Dobbins ready for. Does this move the needle for you at all and what your projections currently were at with Dobbins? No, this is what I was expecting with Dobbins being injured this early or, or that early last season. I was expecting him to be back for week one. Uh, maybe a little bit alarming that he's talking. They're talking about pup in the preseason, but um, not hugely. I think teams are getting smarter with what they're doing with players in the preseason in order to limit their risk uh, heading into week one. And um, I'm not too concerned about it. Uh, I'm interested to hear any updates on Gus Edwards because they had similar injuries and well, around similar times and to see where he's at, because I think Edwards, Edwards uh, presence uh, lowers the ceiling for Dobbins. They've been running a, a combo committee there for years. And I think Dobbins is um, a pretty talented player. They don't throw to their running backs a whole lot. So uh, they would really have to go very, very run heavy 
if they are going to split with Dobbins and Edwards for, for Dobbins to have, you know, high end or middle of the road RB2 uh, value in my mind, uh, just the way you divvy up the stats, it just doesn't uh, work out. And anytime Edwards has been healthy, he's been a 10 carry guy and he's been uh, involved. They don't, they don't just go to one guy there uh, unless they absolutely have to. So, and they did sign Mike Davis too. I don't know what that means. Uh, if it's just a depth piece at this point, I don't have him very high in, on the Ravens uh, depth chart. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm envisioning a Dobbins Edwards combo backfield with uh, uh, Lamar Jackson running the ball a lot as well, stealing some rushing touchdowns. So I'm probably a little bit lower on Dobbins than consensus, but I do, I do agree that he's a talented player with a lot of upside if something were to happen to, to Edwards. Well, considering that last year, Prior to last year, the two seasons before, the Ravens were bottom four and running and targets to their running backs because, as we know, Lamar Jackson doesn't throw to his running backs. And they were actually in those two seasons prior to 2021 top four in run play rate from neutral game script. We know what they wanted to do concertedly. Like, again, if we tell ourselves they're not going to throw running backs and they're going to run the ball a lot, that means the ADP of J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards should be closer. Unfortunately, we won't have a decisive stance on that until training camp because we don't have an update on Gus Edwards just yet. And of course, Gus Edwards, two years ago, uh, over five yards per touch, has proven that he's just good at the game despite not being explosive. And that's really my concern. I don't have any data to back this up, but I do wonder if it takes a player of his profile a tad longer than like a explosive individual with a terrific college profile like J.K. Dobbins to get healthier quicker, uh, especially since like Edwards really did depend on long runs and moving the pile through power. So something I will definitely be monitoring and something we'll all be monitoring ahead of training camp. But before we wrap the show, let's take a quick intermission for an underdog ad and we will be right back with everyone. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app, use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto. The 49ers depth chart is also becoming more clear during OTAs. What we've seen so far is, of course, Elijah Mitchell when he's been out there, and he hasn't been out there often. But really, it's been in order. Jeff Wilson, Jermichael Hasty from the receiving game role, the same roles they had last year, and then Trey Sermon essentially coming off the bench. Recently, Paulson, and stop me if you've heard this one, Wilson and Hasty were sidelined, thus they put Trey Sermon in the starting lineup and he had a couple fumbles. So right now, not looking good for Trey Sermon as the team's fourth running back. As we know, they added Tyrion Davis-Price in the third round as well. Lots of equity and draft capital there to be concerned about. But what are your thoughts on the 49ers depth chart? Because it sounds like from OTA so far, it is pretty much the same roles they had exactly last year when all were healthy. And then we don't have any updates. I was sort of bracing for this news here. I, I enjoy having you read me the news right now at this time in the offseason. I was bracing for some Davis Price hype, but you're, we have no real update on that yet? On him. No update just yet on that. Uh, okay. Yeah, still not really out there. Yeah, so I think that um, is sort of what I was expecting. Uh, and, and as a bigger-bodied guy, I think where he would fill in is essentially 
in place of Jeff Wilson as like their goal line guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then again, like Elijah Mitchell still had 18 carries in his 12 full games last year. So like, we know that a Mitchell is going to be the early down grinder. It's just a matter if he gets his red zone touches taken away, which would be a disaster. Yeah. I I think Mitchell is at his current ADP, which is now 70 at underdog. Um, I think that's a fantastic value. I think, I think some drafters are, kind of thinking Shanahanigans again and they're worried that they don't know who the the starter is in San Francisco but you know when when we were advocating for Elijah Mitchell to be a you know big waiver ad for for you know all of our subscribers heading into week two it was because we looked at the the data and you anytime Raheem Mostert was healthy he was the starter and he was the one getting the double digit carries and playing most of the snaps uh, so one, it wasn't, it was, those other guys weren't popping their heads up because Raheem Mostert was healthy and they were just happening, you know, happened to change the game plan and, you know, feature Jeff Wilson. It was because Mostert was getting banged up and sitting out or being limited. And then, then those guys would pop their heads up and have a big game. Uh, and then we, so once you acquire Mitchell by a, a waiver wire, he delivers just about every time. He's healthy. He's getting 18 plus touches per game. He's starting to get a little bit more involved in the passing game as the season goes on. That's something I'm looking forward to. Hopefully, in his second season, that, that they use him a little bit more as a receiver. But he has that four three speed that Shanahan, that Mostert had, that Shanahan loves uh, in his running game, and none of these other guys have it. Now Price has four four speed and could maybe replicate that a little bit, but um, Mitchell is the fastest guy there, and we've we've known over the last two or three seasons that Shanahan values that speed above, among all else. So I think Mitchell at pick seventy is an outstanding value. I mean, you're looking at uh, that is late sixth round. If I'm doing my math right in my head, that's just a fantastic you know RB two. If you want to wait for your RB two, it's he's a you know RB three. If you want to go heavy RB and use him as your three. Um, but, you know, the thing with Mitchell is we, he's probably going to miss a game or three or four throughout the season. You can't really project him to play 16, 17 games. He's not built that way and um, probably will get dinged up and miss some time. So you just have to sort of prepare uh, for some other RB2, RB3 starts uh, in that event. But I think Mitchell's a, a phenomenal value right now where he's going in drafts. Speaking of missing games, we know the Colts depth chart it's pretty much wide open for the taking behind Michael Pittman at receiver. And a lot of people are selecting Alec Pierce because, again, we're in that June lull of rookie fever where everyone's infatuated with infinite ceilings because we haven't seen players play yet. So they don't know what players can be, and thus everyone's labeling everyone as the next Calvin Johnson. But reportedly at a camp right now, Paris Campbell is, quote-unquote, the most active wide receiver there. So is this a well you're going back to, knowing that in the rare instances he has been healthy, he has actually soaked up targets as an underneath option from the slot? Paris Campbell's pretty good. Um, He has just been unable to stay healthy for any stretch of time. You look at his game log or his uh, career stats, he played seven games uh, in 2019. He played two games in 2020, and then he played six games in 2021. So I don't think he's going to be drafted very high. So you can use a, you know, a late round pick on him. I don't think fantasy managers trust him at all. 
Um, but I do think he has some talent and some skill. And you're, as you mentioned, that uh, depth chart is it's wide open. We don't know who the top, you know, number two, number three receivers are going to be there. We think Pierce might be in the mix, but he's not a polished NFL ready uh, all phases of the game type receiver yet. He might be more of a spot duty type guy who has a s- specific role. Um, or if he comes out and really impresses, then you know, you, he's probably going to be more durable than Campbell, as far as we can tell, based on Campbell's three-year history in the league. Um, but if Campbell's able to stay healthy all offseason, um, I would think that he would be that third receiver at least in that offense and have a little bit of potential for more. I just have you know, no faith that he's going to be able to stay upright the entire season. And I have been taking shots on Mo Alley Cox and a couple others. Um, but yes, if you could guarantee me, and again, that's the game we're playing here with Paris Campbell. If you could guarantee me he was healthy, that's of course the player I would pick, especially because Matt Ryan's coming over from a uh, offensive line in Atlanta that allowed a league high pressure rate over 40% of dropbacks last year. And now he's playing behind what will literally be the best offensive line of his entire career. Like we've talked about this so much, but truly the wheels are up on the Colts offense altogether via one position change, albeit the most important position in football. So yes, I I'm definitely taking shots, trying to find that individual. And if it happens to be Paris Campbell, so be it. But if you asked Frank Reich, who, who, who it could be, he would tell you it might be Naeem Hines, and he mentioned as much because he said he's expecting a big year for Hines, and if he played fantasy football, he would add Hines. Now, to me, that's a tell that he gets last place in his fantasy football league every year, but also <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on Naeem Hines because he is fresh off a quietly a career high in yards per touch, and he's had at least 57 targets in every season in four years in the league. So, like, the floor value is actually there, even though we are clearly expecting Jonathan Taylor to be the RB1 in fantasy. Uh, yeah, and they added uh, Philip Lindsay in the running back rotation as well, who is more of a – he's not real good in the passing game. So, he like if, ta- if something were to happen to Taylor, we'd probably see some Lindsay and Hines combo uh, work there. I – Hines does seem to me like to have some of the biggest upside if anything were to happen to Taylor because he does have that receiving ability and catch five, six, seven passes uh, pretty easily without breaking too much of a sweat. And plus, he maybe he gets 10 carries as well. Um, he's an interesting player within the scope of this depth chart right now. I'm looking at it and he's probably the second or third most explosive receiver in this um, in, on this team right now. And maybe if they are able to use him for to run some of these receiver routes that they've been losing over the course of the last couple of years. I mean, T.Y. Hilton's gone now. If they want to use Hines in the slot, they could. Um, so the, the weird thing there is that, you know, Frank Reich is telling us as fantasy owners we should, or as fantasy managers, we should be targeting Naeem Hines. We don't know what the plans are and why, and why weren't we using him last year in this manner? Uh, what, what's the secret? that's going to be unlocked this year. Um, I, I do think in PPR, half PPR formats, he's certainly intriguing. And if he starts to start, he starts to play some receiver, not just a satellite back, then things get really interesting. But you mentioned Molly Cox and we don't, we don't talk a lot about tight ends. We haven't talked a lot about tight end, uh, tight end two ranks thus far on the podcast, but um, he's, a, he's kind of exciting as a, you know, late uh, career bloomer, uh, really has an opportunity. I know they drafted uh, Jelani Woods. They have Kylan Granson there as well. But uh, Moelle Cox has really been productive when given the targets, and he's a huge body. He's athletic. 
And he's got a quarterback now who has a history of throwing to the tight end. Uh, Austin Hooper had some big um, seasons with with Matt Ryan. Obviously, Kyle Pitts did well last year. Um, so Moelle Cox as a tight end two, tight end three uh, is really intriguing as well. And as you mentioned, we'll be back post your vacation with those positional ranking series. All of our work will pretty much be up and ready to dive into redraft season about that time. So we will be back with that eventually. But yeah, I also think it's worth noting that people should not be afraid to draft and large field best ball tournaments, Naheem Hines behind and alongside Jonathan Taylor as well, just to have the direct backup in those playoff rounds in the events that Taylor goes down because even though Hines' floor is safe in the receiving game, any additional carries, if Jonathan Taylor were to get injured late, would be wonderful for Hines' outlook. So I definitely don't mind taking that unique approach because as many, you know, Jonathan Taylor is going to be 100% rostered in every single best ball tournament, but how many lineups will have Taylor and Hines? And so that's the way I kind of view it right now. What's also happening in Philadelphia's camp is that we were curious who the third wide receiver would be. And right now at OTAs, it is very much leaning towards Kez Watkins starting alongside Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown over Jalen Rager, who may not even make the team out of camp, quite honestly. But right now, that's the three wide receiver sets. Any interest there as a late-round flyer, or are we still going to stick with what we know in Jalen Hurts, who we are very clearly high on, QB6 in projections and, and best ball rankings, as well as A.J. Brown is a target hog, had never seen more than 106 targets in three years with Tennessee, and then Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard to a lesser extent. Uh, yeah, I, I've been – I had Quez Watkins in as the number three receiver. I think it was pretty clear that they were kind of over Jalen Rager. That experiment had ended, and, and Watkins has had some really good games, productive game times for, for the Eagles. So I, that doesn't surprise me at all that he's slotted as the third receiver. Um, I think the, the issue when you look at this Philly, Philly offense is how much are they going to throw? And we've talked about Jalen Hurts and his upside as a runner. Um, do they – continue to do what they did at the second half of last season and go very run heavy. If they do, then, you know, AJ Brown, I think is might be drafted a little bit early right now. Devonta Smith might be drafted a little bit early right now. Uh, however, if they do go pass heavy the way they tried to go at the start of last year, uh, maybe they think that Hertz has improved enough to where he can handle it. Then there's enough pass attempts to support some of these guys and you can, you could actually start a Brown and a Smith and a, a Dallas Goddard and perhaps Quez Watkins pops his head up here and there for a decent game during a bye week or something. Um, but I think if you take the meeting of those two and they're probably a pretty balanced team, it's going to be hard for Hertz to support Brown, Smith, Goddard and, and Watkins on a weekly basis. And if you want to go an intriguing route, I've also been stacking right now, Kenneth Gainwell instead of Quez Watkins um, and again, Watkins, I think, is a, a good late-round addition, especially if you're going three or four deep with your Hurt stacks. But adding Kane, adding Gainwell to that, just the fact that fourth most targets among rookie running backs last year, 50, and then three games with double-digit carries because he stumbled into injuries. But we also removed Jordan Howard from the equation altogether this year. And so there is more opportunity with like literally only one injury perhaps happening that Kenneth Gainwell stumbles into 15-plus touches several times, a handful of times this year. And so I also don't mind going to Gainwell to also get unique with my Hurts stacks since, again, we are very high on Hurts. And finally, 
because we always have to mention a Packers receiver on this show. Apparently, that's the running rule right now. Uh, reporters are noting that Romeo Dubs is outperforming Christian Watson. Watson, who is apparently recording at least one drop in every practice, and so far struggling to adapt to the NFL. This, of course, is happening with Aaron Rodgers because he's not only busy sinking birdie putts on hole 12 to down Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, but also because he's a vet. Like, he doesn't need to be a voluntary OTA. So, any thoughts, any updates so far on Christian Watson, the Packers receiving core, who you already have Watson significantly lower than consensus. And right now, if you look at the underdog top 250, we are not drafting him purposely because his ADP is far too high. Yeah, and this might this sort of news might get him knocked down a little bit. I think he might be a, a slow starter to the season. Um, but he, there are also some positive comments about him. Uh, Randall Cobb has been really... Uh, positive with Christian Watson and talking about the physical tools that he has and that he's got what it takes. And, you know, yes, maybe he's dropping uh, some passes early in the year, but they'll work on that. And drops are something that are, you know, are not sticky year to year. He did have a pretty high drop rate uh, at North Dakota state. Um, but the, the, those things can sort of be fixed. I think, um, I think it might take a little bit of time. It doesn't surprise me uh, that much that do uh, is, is that how you pronounce it? Dubes dubs. Um, that he is outperforming in, you know, in OTAs with you know, the backup quarterbacks throwing, and he's just probably a little bit more polished at this point. But I think everybody agrees that Watson has more upside if he can capitalize on that athleticism. And finally, I want to end with one last question from the chat because there has been news actually on the Bills running backs, and that is James Cook showing up at OTAs and impressing as a pass catcher. No shock there, but also and this comes from The Athletic, that Devin Singletary, they don't imagine, very early, of course, but they don't imagine Devin Singletary still losing that workhorse role on early downs at least. Thus, we are expecting, I guess, if this holds true, Singletary to still have a low floor, but still a touch floor nonetheless. And remember, James Cook never had more than 12 carries in any game in college. They used him specifically in this pass-catching role. And so if that's the only one he's taken, then maybe, maybe Singletary does, in fact, sneak up with upside, at least inside the red zone and on the goal line. What are your thoughts there? I think, you know, heading into the draft, I was high on Singletary given the workload that he saw at the end of last year because they basically said enough of Zach Moss, enough of Matt Breida, Breda, um, and we're just going to feed Singletary but then they went you know they were one of the teams that was attached to early round running back in the draft and they ended up with James Cook who takes over in all likelihood a very valuable role uh, as the pass catcher you, you want your running backs your fantasy running backs catching passes if at all possible and uh, Cook is going to eat into that role for Singletary so you know Singletary went way down the rankings for me in projections just because you're taking away uh, a third or more of his touches and the valuable touches that you get as a you know, running back uh, catching the ball. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that they would want to keep him in on first and second downs. You look at what the Bills have done uh, over the last two or three years. They have tried to run a committee when they are reasonably happy with all the running backs that they have. Um, there was a, a period where they were playing Singletary and they were playing Moss and they had Breda coming in and and they just finally kind of narrowed it down to Singletary. But I think what they want to do is kind of spread the roles out and kind of do what the Patriots do. And that doesn't lend itself to uh, a lot of fantasy fun. Uh, 
And the other complicating factor here is that they have a running quarterback in Josh Allen who's going to rush for a lot of touchdowns. So it's not like you can count on Singletary getting Damian Harris type touchdowns and, you know, having 10 touchdowns or something. A lot of those are going to go to Allen. Uh, so you really you're looking at Singletary, you know, having his his roles kind of carved up uh and uh, it's, it's just not a typical RB1, RB2 type role. So I think he's more of an RB3. And Cook is, depending on if you're playing in a PPR league or half PPR league, his value kind of fluctuates there. Um, and he probably doesn't have the upside of having a three-down role, you know, if there were injuries there. Either if Singletary were to go down, you probably would see Zach Moss in there or maybe Duke Johnson or somebody um, starting to get some carries as well because they don't want to, you know, push 20 carries onto James Cook. I still believe also Devin Singletary is an analogy for a, any running back, and that's the one they had to lean on. I imagine they wanted to have better than that, but when you lose to Jacksonville 7-3, to you rethink everything in life before the next week, and you say, okay, we have no choice but to respond to this too high safety crap, and this is what we're going to do instead to answer just to make teams respect us at least in the flats. Also, beyond this, Ronnie, Ronnie's the one who asked this question, I also think Singletary's concerning because we know his contract's up at the end of the year, and we know like re-signing a player like him is not what the Bills do. And so that's why I think they really aren't putting a priority on him long-term. Probably this year as their best grinder, especially because all they really did was add Matt Breida, who Dable and company had no issues, healthy scratching at the end of last year. Uh, so Singletary's carries, yes, in my opinion, very safe. But 2023, likely out the door. With that, Paulson, though, you have to get on trains, at least mentally prepare for them. What a hard life. Any other thoughts for people to check out before you get out of here? Uh, yeah, be sure to check out the four positional articles that are that are up. It sort of outlines my favorites at each position right now early in the offseason. And I just released the uh, defensive free agency article, which looks at all the signings in and out for each team to see which teams have uh, gained and lost talent. Um, I know some uh, best ball uh, formats at FFPC still uh, allow you to draft running uh, or draft uh, fantasy defenses. Uh, I think there's some sleeper ones out there where you have an edge. And uh, I'm hoping that this week I can get the offensive line free agency article out so we can see how those units are faring uh, this offseason and it might inform our uh, running back projections a little bit more if I if I discover that some of these uh, sleeper offensive lines might come together and, and perform a little bit better than they did last year or be a little bit worse. So that's what I have on tap uh, this the rest of this week and into next week. And a reminder that we actually created on the site an underdog landing page. So all our resources, rankings, projections, tiers, ADP tool, TJ Hernandez, best ball strategy article, stacking tool, the rest of Hoppin's tools, they all are literally on one page for everyone since all we do is talk about them because they're helping out so many people right now. So make sure to check that on the site. Until then, I will be back with someone. Someone's going to help me host. So until then, stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.